Welcome to the Garden Path Podcast, life lessons and conversations from the natural world. Hi, I'm your host, Misty Little, and this is Season 5, Episode 7. My guest today is Eliana Ardia, a birder, naturalist, and all-around nature nerd with a home base in Miami, Florida, but you can often find her traipsing around the world from her birth country of Colombia to her adopted and favorite land of Alaska. Eliana and I met in the mid-2000s in Miami, and since that time, her interest and skills in birding have increased exponentially. In 2008 and 2009, she and her then-boyfriend Mark Kramer embarked on a tour of the U.S. and parts of Canada in their vintage VW bus. In 2018, they embarked on another trip, this time with the intention of getting married when they reached Alaska. Along the way, their tour became known as Birding by Bus, and these two have guided birding tours, attended birding festivals as speakers, among a plethora of other birding-related events. In addition to this, Eliana founded the Phoebe's Birding Group, which we are primarily talking about today. Eliana wanted to gather women birders together into a space that allowed them to feel comfortable learning about birds, with skill sets of all levels joining in. The group has become incredibly active with a home base in Miami, but other women birders are banding together to form their own groups around the country. Eliana and I chat a lot about this group and her interest in birds as well, and a bit about her garden and interest in native plants back in Miami. At one point, we talk about her favorite birds, and she mentions that Arctic terns have the longest animal migration. And then we kind of aren't sure about that, so I did some double-checking, and she is definitely right. So I didn't mean to second-guess her, but I was kind of thrown by that. Kind of a feat, right? Don't think about birds having the longest uh, migration, but apparently this one did. So you can find the show notes for the episode at thegardenpathpodcast.com, where you can find links to follow the Phoebe's Birding and Birding by Bus on their various social media accounts. All right, on to the episode. No, so Eliana, I was I was actually thinking beforehand because I was wondering to you know when you kind of got into birding, but then I started thinking because you are from Colombia and uh, did you ever notice birds growing up and have any interest in that back then, or was it only when you came to Miami and met Mark that you really kind of got into birding? Uh, I will say a little bit of both. As a kid, I was always very interested in nature. Um, so even though we lived in a big city called Bucaramanga, we, I spent a lot of my times in the family farm uh, on the weekends and when I was up from school. So I got to spend time with uh, wildlife and seeing the birds. But it wasn't until I was here in Miami when I met Mark, my now husband, that he introduced me into birding. And then we got really, really hooked. And now we are both pretty obsessed, I will say, <laughs> uh, with birding. And now it's uh, a big part of our lives. So right. I now. Um, yeah, so but, but back, back in your Columbia times, what kind of birds or, I guess, nature experiences led you to become, I mean, you're a very green and environmentally friendly and eco-conscious person. Was there anything that kind of catapulted you into that, that pushed you more that direction? Or is just something you gradually over time, you're just building up with like different experiences? Um, I think different experiences throughout time, but I remember something from my, my childhood, childhood that it's, it's a bit of a, ironic because I am vegan, so I don't need any animal products at all. However, the family on my dad's side has a uh, cattle farm and uh, a dairy farm. And I remember as a kid having a, uh, a pet cow. Her name was Topa. And anytime I went to the farm, I will always call Topa and she will come running and I will jump on her and I will spend a lot of time. And I think that to me had a huge impact on how I am now. 
And it's one of the reasons that I don't eat any meat and dairy because just that experience and that bond that I had with this cow. And, uh, and, and I miss her. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she was the family pet and she was, um, she lived a long life and, uh, until she was old. And, uh, but yeah, I think that was one of the things that really affected me and, and made me become who I am now. And just being out there in nature, like I loved going into the river, swimming in the rivers or chasing the ducks around the ponds and, in Colombia and the area that we were at, there's a lot of parrots. So I remember seeing a lot of parrots roosting on the palms and in the habitat that we have there. And that is one of the most common birds that I remember seeing as a kid. And also Orioles, this very bright orange and red birds. And I remember them very clearly from my childhood. So I think all of those experiences impacted to become who I am now. And then obviously meeting Mark, he brought all of that back and really got me to understand birds in a better sense. Right. So, yeah, you and Mark are, I don't know, expert birders by now. <laughs> I mean, if I know, if I have any questions about birds, and I'm pretty bird dumb. So, uh, yeah, just today I put a bird on iNaturalist and I was like, this sure, this is a sparrow. And someone came and said, this is a female red-winged blackbird. And I'm like, no, it's not. And it was. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm dumb. I really got to get better at birds. No, that's so, a challenging one. The, the female red-winged blackbirds are challenging. And I can see how you thought it was a sparrow. So <laughs> uh, 12 years ago when Mark, 12 or 13 years ago when Mark started uh, introducing me into birds, I did not know the difference between a female cardinal and a male cardinal. And that's one of the first memories I have of learning to identify birds. And I remember telling Mark, I'm like, how do you know that's a female? And him telling me about the color difference. Uh, so, yeah. So, little, little by little, we learn. Right. So, you know, South Florida is a pretty uh, diverse place. I think it's a big migratory area. Um, and you said you mentioned you know, mentioning learning the cardinal differences, but what were some other birds that Mark kind of taught you in the beginning that kind of really opened your eyes and made you hooked in birding? Ooh, aha. that's a good question because <laughs> there was six months into us dating, we decided to go camping, canoe camping in um, Everglades National Park, and we went on um, from Flamingo to East Cape in the Florida Bay. And we newbies here got stuck on low tide. We had forgotten <laughs> to even look at the tides and we got stuck. So while we waited for the tide to come back in, so we can keep paddling, there were all these wader birds. So there were the, the immature little blue, which is a white bird. Uh, there was the white ibis, which, which is another white bird. The great egret, another white bird. White pelicans, another white bird. And Mark is like, oh, yeah, I see this, this, and this, and that. To me, all I saw was black, uh, white dots everywhere, white dots. <laughs> I'm like, they all look identical. And Mark is like, no, look at the bill and look at this one with the difference here. And this one is bigger than this one. I'm like, Mark, they're all the same thing. It's a bird. And I remember being so frustrated that day. But now I just look at them from a mile away and I can tell, oh, yeah, that's an immature little blue heron. 
and I know by the bill and just different character characteristics. So yeah, but in the beginning, things can seem, seem frustrated and overwhelming, but just, you just have to take it little by little. Like now I'm like getting better on my short birds and my waterfowl. And that's from things that I have been doing lately that are helping me get better at that group of birds. So little by little, you will get there. Yeah. So I guess maybe, yeah, what are you doing to get better? Is it just basically being out in the field often and going to see them uh, at different, different seasons when they have different plumages and that sort of thing? Ooh, I'm doing many, 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 many things. Uh, I've been doing a lot of field work. So in the la this year, I have done quite a bit of field work in Alaska, um, studying waterfowl. So that has made me just being in the middle of thousands and thousands of waterfowl have really helped me learn them better. Also, I have, oof, I will say we have over 100 field guides in our house. So we're always like studying them and, hey, why is this, what, is this a female or a male? What about this plumage? So we're always reviewing our field guides. There is also this app called eBird, which we use on a daily basis. And eBird allows you to see what birds are being seen in your area at a specific time and narrows them down for, down for you. So with that app, it really helps you be able to understand those bir birds that are there better. Um, that and writing notes. I have my field um, notebook that I carry with me and I write notes about the species. So there's just so many different things that I do to get better. And the more you do those things, the more you're teaching yourself to learn them. Do you ever go back through your old field notes? Oh, yes. All the time. I did today. <laughs> I actually, uh, I was... I have been gone most of the year and I'm finally home and uh, I was organizing my office and I have all my field guides by year. So I was looking at them, what I had seen a few years back. And yeah, so it's, it's cool to see all those notes. And now that we have your, your iPhone and your um, digital phones, you write a lot of stuff on your phone. So I'm, I want to get back to writing more on my field, my notebooks, because it just it feels so cool to be able to go back and see all of that. And, and just little things that I have collected, maybe I had a flower or, or, or the feather that I found or something that I put on my field note and put notes about. It's, it's really cool. Yeah. Have you ever thought about uh, like nature journaling, like painting a birds while you're out there, kind of like the little nuthatch does? Yes, I have done it. I have I have thought about it, and I have actually do, done it quite a bit. Um, this year, when we when I was in Alaska working for Fish and Wildlife doing waterfowl and shorebird um, nest plot research, I had a lot of downtime, and I was able to then at the end of the day paint the birds that I was seeing, and I kept a journal which I have here with me. And today, I was looking at those paintings. Oh, see, that's just like the perfect thing, like in the motivation that later on you're going to, I think sometimes you getting down and actually doing these journals and making the notes seem kind of tedious and hard. But when you go back later, like a year later, you're looking back, you're like, oh, I'm so glad I did this. And it was brings back memories. It's like a scrapbook of sorts. Yeah, it is. It's really, really cool. And there's so many people out there that motivate you to to get out there and doing more. And one that you mentioned is uh, Kate, a little not hatch and Instagram. And the other one that I really, really um, love following and she does uh, 
journal drawing journaling of everything out of her day and uh, her name is Samantha and she actually recently published a book called draw your day and it's so inspiring I love Samantha's work and uh, and that book it's really good and just helps you how to keep a flow on your journal by drawing your day right right so to go back to meeting Mark and birding and you're birding with Mark and getting better at that, when did you start going out with other groups? Or I guess Mark probably had a bunch of groups that he went out with. Um, so how did that kind of evolve that you started going with other people? Yeah, uh, so there's a, here in Miami, there is a, a group called Tropical Audubon Society, which is like a branch of the National Audubon. And they lead walks usually once a week on the weekends. And uh, we joined them at a couple of them. I remember feeling frustrated and overwhelmed because everybody seemed to know all the birds and I was the, the newbie. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then I was, I think, the youngest one in that group. And this was like 12, 13 years ago. And I felt that I was the youngest one and the newbie. So I was intimidated. Uh, so I didn't go to as many walks as I should have, and I wish I would have attended. But um, the more we traveled and the more I saw birds, the more I got interested in them. We've been to so many countries, and usually every, everywhere you travel, there's always birds. So you can always, it's a hobby that you can do anywhere. Right, right. So in all these walks and groups, you're, you've met birding friends, and over the last... I don't know, 10 or 15 years, you've probably collected a bunch of different people that have had this similar interest. And uh, not too long ago, you started the, the Phoebe's Birding Group. Um, I guess what compelled you to start that group? And uh, were there any other co-founders that kind of helped form that? Yes. Uh, so the Phoebe's Group um, got founded by several females. Um, so on, it's actually... <laughs> Something really, really cool is that today is our two-year anniversary from when everything started. So two years ago, on October 29, 2017, uh, we went on a bird walk um, organized by Tropical Audubon Society. And it was a bunch of uh, people, males, females, everyone was um, able to come. And there were a few of us. At that, that day, there were six of us that we kind of like bonded together and we were laughing and showing each other the birds and just sharing different stories about each of the birds that we were seeing and how we knew that this was that and it was just it felt like we were female we were friends for a long long time it didn't it did not seem that we had just met that day and uh we were laughing and there were no rules it was just us having fun enjoying nature and getting out there and at the end of that walk, we had had so much fun that we said, why don't we, why don't we meet again? And why don't we try to do this more often together? And so we decided before we left on that walk, before we all went home, that we were going to meet on the following Thursday. And that night we met at, at, at uh, Kirsten Hines house. And there it's when we started talking about starting a, a female birding group to motivate other females to get out there and, and enjoy nature, no matter how little or how much you know, no matter your age, and just get out there and have fun together and, and motivate each other and, and just kind of teach each other, 
like we all know a little bit, like you are so good with your plants. And if I have questions about plants, I will contact you. So we help, <laughs> we help each other and there's no, no looking down like, oh, how did you not know that? It's, it's, it's helping each other. So that day we, we talked about it and yeah, that's how the Phoebe started from one walk two years ago today. Wow. And the group is, has grown. I mean, you guys are very active in different walks throughout the seasons. You have different events. And I feel like, uh, I feel like this could butt out and to be like little chapters of, you know, across the nation. I mean, I'm sure you, you probably don't want to get into that big because you can't manage that, but um, it's definitely inspiring. And I hope maybe other people will be more inspired to do similar things. Yeah. Um, so I know we've been asked uh, <laughs> that other people want to open chapters in other places and it's hard in the sense that it's hard to manage it, especially when a lot of us um, are traveling so much. And some of us also that started the Phoebe's have moved to other states. So it's hard to like manage everything. But yeah, anybody can start a, a chapter if they want to. And, uh, and we can all help each other and motivate each other. And yeah, um, for me, it's very exciting. The last walk that I led was last week. And we had 29 people show up. That is the biggest group I've ever met. <laughs> it was a big, big group. But somehow I got the energy and it was very enthusiastic and the birds were very cooperative. It was peak migration and we had a lot, a lot, a lot of species coming through. We had we saw that morning 55 species. And a lot of the a lot of the females there that they were beginners and um, some of them didn't have binoculars, so we all uh, lent each other binoculars and we all saw the birds and we all learned their calls and found the birds together and we were looking the field guide. It was such a fun morning. We had a lot of fun. And after we finished the bird walk, then we enjoyed a picnic at the local park that we were at. So that was really cool. That's usually what we do after a walk. We, we ask people to bring uh, something to share, I don't know, a, a, a dish. And then we have a picnic together and then we laugh and we keep talking more about birds and nature. Nice. So I guess I can go a couple different directions in that. I do want to go back to the name of the group first. Um, how did you decide on Phoebe? And like kind of there seems like there's multiple origin meanings behind the word Phoebe. Correct. Yeah. So <laughs> there's th three different reasons for the Phoebes. Number one is the name of a bird, the Eastern Phoebe. And it's a bird that we commonly can see here in, um, in South Florida, the flycatcher. We also have uh, Phoebe the Titan, which is a mythological creature, I guess is how you pronounce it. <laughs> and uh, one of the biggest inspirations is Phoebe the woman. Um, so Phoebe was a woman that in her in her 50s she was diagnosed with cancer and uh, they, she didn't have too much to live or so she was told Phoebe Snetsinger I always have a hard time saying that word Snetsinger and uh, so she decided that she wanted to see as many birds as possible before the cancer um, affected her more and she broke a record of seeing over 8,000 8, species of birds which wow it's a lot. It's considering there's 10,000 in the world. So she saw most of them. And, um, and yeah, so she was a big inspiration for us naming the group Phoebe's Birding. Wow. That's awesome. Yes. I've never heard of her. Now I'm going to be compelled to go find out some more information about her. 
Yeah, Phoebe Snitzinger, and there's a couple of books uh, on her, and there is a book, um, I actually have it on my to-read list, I have it right here in front of me, and it's, uh, Birding on, it's called Birding on Borrowed Time. So it's hmm. it's definitely a book to read about her story and and just how little time she had and how she needed to get out there to see as many birds as possible be, before she passed away. Wow. Um, okay. <laughs> so um, my next question is: So you're leading these like beginners, and in a typical outing, I mean, you said there's 29 people. How how are you coordinating? And I guess how would one feel like trying to learn from one person leading this group? Is it, um, I guess my question is when, um, when you're together and you're, you're leading all these groups of people, how do you know what to, to teach them? I mean, how do you, I guess, yeah. How would I learn if I was going to go there? What would you walk me through the steps of what I would do? So, um, first of all, people learn about overwalks through, um, social media also our website, phoebesbirding.com, and also through Tropical Audubon Society. They have been great at promoting our um, walks. And uh, we rotate. So the, every month we try to have a different leader or organizer. And uh, last, the last one was mine. And what I try to teach uh, me personally on, on the walk is anything I know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Anything, everything that I know, I try to teach you without making you feel so overwhelmed. So I know things that helped me in the beginning on how to remember, for example, the difference between a black vulture and a turkey vulture. So I try to tell those experiences on how I learned them and what helps me remember th- those type of birds. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to teach that and I try to teach more on a, on a general level, meaning that I start from groups of birds. So I, just, I will mention, okay, I'm seeing a warbler. So I, and I teach people what, what, what's a warbler. And then I say, okay, we, we can have different species of warblers. And then I will talk to them about black and white and how the black and white warbler likes to creep through the trees and just type of behavior. I think one of the things that have helped me learn birds is their behavior and just being able to not just look at the bird and move on, but look at the bird and sit, stay there for a few minutes and see how it's behaving. What is it eating? How does it fly? Does it interact with other birds? That to me has been huge in me learning the birds. And I feel like other people relate to that. And I teach and I try to teach them that. That and I also have a little bit of too much energy sometimes. <laughs> and I think that motivates people and, and, and gets people very um enthusiastic about the birds. I think I said that right. <laughs> yeah. No, the behavior thing makes sense. Uh, I was trying to like relate it back to plants. I mean, you, you're, you know, grouping, like you said, the grouping, the warblers. I'm like, okay, well, yeah, that's like how you group plants into families, you know, like the euphorbias are, are like this and they have milky sap. And so you can kind of figure that out. Um, and you can kind of go by habitat as well, which I think birds are, are relatable. But yes. yeah, your the behavior is probably the key that I'm probably not picking up on, and I haven't paid enough attention to do that. Um, so I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll start focusing on that. <laughs> Another thing that I try to do on the walks is I always have the field gu- field guide with me. 
I don't use it as much lately, uh, but in the beginning, I always was always using the field guide. I will always write on it. Note, like the first time I saw a bird, I will write it on my field guide. Or if I saw somebody told me a very specific way of, of IDing a bird, then I will, I, I will write that note on my field guide. So I kept very detailed notes. So one thing I've been doing on the walks is I always bring my field guides with me. And whenever we look at a bird, let's say, once again, black and white warbler, I will pull it out on the field guide and I say, this is what we're looking at. This is this is the markings. This is the way the, the bird behaves. And I think seeing it in the field guide and then seeing it in a person helps you memorize the bird even better. Not just because not everybody gets to see the bird for a long period. Like the birds are always moving around. So if somebody missed it, it's good for them to see it in the field guide. That way they are understanding on what we're talking about. So I think field guide is definitely a, a way that has helped people learn them. And when we're on the walks, there's all different levels. There's advanced birders and, and beginner birders and everybody helps everybody. On, on the last walk that it was 29 of us, we all helped each other because there's no way that one person can point at one bird to 29 people. So we all help each other. While I was looking at, let's say, uh, American Red Star, somebody else was looking at a yellow-throated warbler. And like that, we like helped each other and, uh, and we found as many species as possible because we also were, you know, we, you always want to try to find as many as possible. <laughs> there's always <laughs> competition going on. <laughs> it's a game. It is. It's a very cool game because it makes you go outside no matter the weather. Like I have some of the best birding I have done has been in horrible, horrible weather, like pouring rain or freezing cold. But it's just fun getting out there. So those birds make you get out there and enjoy nature in every state. <laughs> You're definitely more ambitious than I am. <laughs> Um, okay, so you're talking about weather, but you're in Miami, so there's mostly good weather in Miami. Um, what, I mean, you've got a good tr mix of tropicals, you get a mix of northern birds migrating down south for the winter. Maybe you just kind of talk a little bit about what Miami and South Florida has to offer for birding. Um, best places to bird, species, habitats. Um, I mean, I know this is a very broad topic, but whatever, whatever speaks to you. That's a lot of questions in one. <laughs> no, but go, going back to the comment that you made about the weather. So one of the days that I got the most soaked in was in Miami. It was October of, I'm going to guess, 2015 or 2016. And it was peak migration. And we had a fallout, meaning that the weather was so bad that the birds could not keep migrating south so they had to come down and we found so many species that day and we were completely completely soaked from head to toe and so yeah what miami can have very 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 um rough weather at times yeah but, of course it's still fun and one thing about miami is that like like you've mentioned a couple times is that it's it has a really good migration through here um, especially in the fall. I find that in the fall, there's amazing burden here. And also having such a tropical climate, we have um, a lot of variety of birds. So we have like, we have coastal birds and then we have the migratory, migratory birds. And we also have the exotics. So Miami is very 
well known for the exotic birds that people have introduced here, but they're still very, very cool to see. So it's uh, that's one thing that a lot of birds from all over the country come to Miami just to see these exotics. We have a lot of species of parrots, and we have the red whisker bulbul, which is a super cool bird. Kind of, if I had to describe it, I will say it's a mix of like a coronal and hmm, what else? But yeah, it has this beautiful crest. It's a really cool bird. And um, so it, it's really cool. And then you have also the, you know, going down to the Everglades, that habitat is absolutely amazing. One of my favorite habitats is the Pineland Rocklands. I am madly in love with my Pineland Rocklands and, um, and I love to hug my pines all the time. <laughs> and it has been, and, and seeing that, uh, how much of that habitat is gone has been one of the inspirations for me, which I know this is another topic, but for me to try to uh, redo our own yard and make it as native habitat as possible and give the birds a better a better setting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Miami has a lot of cool things. Like most people know of Miami as very urban. Uh, it's, I mean, there's sky rise buildings and houses everywhere, but there's also some hidden gems waiting to be found. And there's some really good areas for birding. A couple of parks that we go to a lot is A.D. Barnes Park and also uh, Bill Baggs State Park. That's a really, really good uh, park and uh, has amazing, amazing birding. Mm-hmm. Well, and you guys are known to just like jet off to the Keys when there's like word of some stray bird that's flown into the Keys, too. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> we, like, <laughs> we like to chase the birds, especially if it's. For me, I, li- I like to chase the birds that are, are lifers for me, meaning that I've never seen them in my life and it will be my first time seeing them. So if there's a new bird that got reported here, I like to chase them. There's other people that like to chase birds that they have never seen in the North America ABA area. ABA means American Birding Association area. And uh, so there's different levels of what you chase. For me personally, I chase the lifers. Um, and just because I want to see as many birds as possible. I'm, I'm slowly, slowly getting there. Phoebe, the Phoebe is an inspiration to me. And I hope to one day be able to say that I have seen 8,000 species of birds. Well, that's what I was going to ask is how many do you have on your list so far? Any guesses? Uh, I feel like we've talked about this, but I don't remember. Uh, three or 4,000? Ah, I wish. No, oh, okay, I, that's too much. <laughs> I am at approximately 1,700 species. I've seen 1,700. Yeah. Get in there. Get in there. My, my goal is to hit 2,000 species. So I, I still need 300 more species by my next birthday, which be, will be July 4th. So I have 300 species to find by July 4th. So this podcast is the pressure is on because now it's recorded and I have to go find this. <laughs> well, you're going to Europe in the spring, so that should get you some more species. Yes, but I had been, I have already been to Portugal before, and I also went to Israel, which Israel is in the same fly away the the same migration path as Portugal, which means I have seen a lot of those birds already. Uh, oh. But but that's fine because I am trying to convince Mark that we it's time for us to venture to other places and go to maybe Madagascar, New Zealand, Australia, because I need those 300 birds. 
<laughs> well, I'm totally hitchhiking if you go to New Zealand, so well, I'm coming with you. I, I can tell you that I will be going to New Zealand in the next 12 months, one way or the other, with Mark or without Mark, but I'm getting there. So join me if you want. And uh, I'm, a, I'm also going to Colombia in less than a month, so I should be adding a lot of birds. Colombia, which we didn't mention before, has more species of birds than any other country in the world. So we have almost 20% of the species of the world. Wow. So it's huge. Yeah, we have almost 2,000 species. So it's absolutely amazing. So I will be adding uh, some species when I go there. And I'm going to get a lot more species than Mark because we have a competition <laughs> going, of course. Um, well, where, did the, where does that competition come from in the birding world? Like, how did that begin? Well, I'm a competitive person as it is. I love competing. I have done triathlons, marathons, and I, does, I am very, a very competitive person. And then when you, you know, you have your husband, you know, like you want to get competitive. Hey, I've seen more than you. And I always mess with him because I think right now I have seen one more species than him. So I always have to brag about that. Um, so I need to make sure I keep on the lead. You know, we have to, females have to represent. Right. <laughs> Um, so to bring you back a little bit to the, your birding group, um, so if you're a beginning birder, what, uh, kind of tools or things do you recommend for someone who's just like beginning? Like how would they even start? Like, what would you recommend for them to like, just focus on first certain bird types or habitats or just whatever interests them? The truth is get out there and go to any habitat and anywhere uh, because every in every type of habitat and every place you go there's always you will always always find birds so just get out there and and just just enjoy nature in general um i think that's 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 a big thing definitely make sure you get a good um pair of binoculars because that will really help you out a lot the closer you can get to the birds with the binoculars and seeing them as clear as possible the more you will learn about them and also a field guide. Um, get a field guide because that will help you ID the bird and be able to study the bird better. But honestly, just get out there and try to just spend 30 minutes outside, even in your own yard. There's just so many birds that you can uh, see and just and learn from just by, by seeing them in your own backyard or in your own neighborhood, your local park. That definitely helps out. One um, app that I mentioned before that also tells you where the birds are being seen is the e it's eBird. So if you go to eBird, it's a free app. You can download it on your phone or you can check out their website, eBird.org. And through there, you can type in uh, Miami and it will show you where the biggest concentration of birds are being seen. And maybe that's a way of you of taking you out and you go into a new place that you have not been before in your area. So that might be another way of, of checking it out. And also check your um, local Audubon chapter because most likely wherever you are, there's an Audubon um, chapter and they usually will have guided walks and they are always free. Most of the time they're free. So get out there, enjoy those, those type of walks because you will learn a lot from other people. Mm -hmm. So do you have any upcoming events for the Phoebe's Birding Group? Yes, <laughs> there's always events in the works. And right now we're in the middle of organizing a few. Uh, we have a few ideas. One of them is doing an overnight camping trip 
that will incorporate owling. So trying to find owls mm. in the Everglades National Park. So that's one that we're trying to put together. Um, we don't have a date for that one yet. Another one that I was um, considering organizing is taking people to Shark Valley, which is a section of Everglades National Park. And they there is a 15-mile loop there, paved loop, that you can either uh, walk it, but that would be a long walk, or bike, <laughs> or bike it. Um, so my idea was to do a little bit of exercise, ask people to bring bikes, and we will do an early birding biking trip through Shark Valley and teach them a little bit about the habitat. A lot of the people in Miami actually have never been to the Everglades. Um, that's yeah. at least that's what I, I have personally noticed or, or seen when I talk to people is that a lot of them have never been to the Everglades. So just a way of showing them another part of our area that it's just such beautiful area. And the Everglades National Park, it's an amazing park. So it's, it's great to get out there and enjoy it. And, uh, and by people being out there and falling in love with the birds, they will also fall in love with the habitat. And I'm hoping that they get inspired to go home and plant some natives. I'm always promoting planting <laughs> natives for the birds and uh, the butterflies and everything else that comes along with that. Right. No, I, I'm always surprised when people say they haven't been out to the Everglades or haven't driven down Tammy Trail. And I'm just like, how can you not? It's right there. It's so cool. <laughs> get out of Miami. But at the same time, I'm like, don't get out of Miami because I don't want you to ruin it either. <laughs> so. Uh, the ever that whole area is so beautiful. Beautiful. There's a lot of things to do if you really look um, and, and search for those hidden gems, as I as I like to call them. Well, yeah, there's a ton of cute little county parks all over Dade County, and all these uh, the little protected natural areas that they have. Like there, a lot of them are those the pine rocklands, like you were mentioning. Mentioning. Um, yeah, I think that was one of the things I did like about Miami was that they tried somewhat to preserve some of those spaces. So, and the ones that they did preserve were really neat. Yeah, they are. They are. It's a really cool habitat, definitely. And yeah, there's a lot of county parks that are really nice, and um, and you can find different type of habitats. Yeah. Um. Okay. So let's let's transition a little bit. What's your favorite bird or favorite birds? Woo, that's such a hard question. But I have always said that my favorite, favorite, favorite bird is the common raven. I love them dearly. And the ravens always remind me of Alaska, which is my favorite place on earth. And I have seen ravens do some really cool acrobats, including uh, flying upside down. Mm. So getting to see that and seeing how smart they are and, they're just so, so smart. So I love them dearly. However, if I could be a bird, I would love to be an Arctic tern. Hmm. And the reason why there's a reason behind it is because they have the biggest migration of out of any other animal in the entire world. So I love to travel. So I would love to be an Arctic tern so I can see as much of the world as possible. And they also get to see the most amount of light because they travel from um, the, Arc the north to the south. So so they go from, well, yeah, what is their migration they, route? They, they go all the way from Alaska all the way to Argentina. Really? Um, yeah, in the same year. Yeah, they do actually do that twice. Because once, once they finish the breeding season up in Alaska or in the north, 
then they migrate south and they go all the way to Argentina and they spend the winters down there in South America at the end of South America and then they do it all over again. So they get to see the most amount of light and they have the biggest migration distance possible. So I would like to be an Arctic turn. Wow, that's crazy. I didn't realize that. I mean, I I always figured like whales would have like the greatest migration route or, you know, some or marine mammal, but that's insane. (laughs) That's what I've always read. I hope that all the books and field guides that I read were correct because if not, I just give you wrong information. (laughs) (laughs) I will Google it. You're probably right. I doubt you're wrong, but I I never heard that. That's something uh, cool to learn. Yeah. Yeah. It has an insane migration. Um, there's a lot of other shorebirds and uh, other terns that have also really long migrations, but the Arctic tern is known to have the longest one. Hmm. Um, I know you want to add more birds to your list, but what is on your, like, you really, 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 really want to see list? <sighs> if there was one bird that I could see right now, it would be the spoon-billed sandpiper. Um, hmm. It's a type of uh, shorebird. And it's an extremely, extremely endangered shorebird. There's very, very few of them left. Um, the last article that I read um, said that approximately 250 individuals remain. And um, their habitat um, is almost completely wiped out. They spend a lot of their time in Asia. And then they, um, they spend their summers breeding in the Russia area. But they're, So they're, they've lost a lot of habitat. And also there's um, illegal poaching of um, shorebirds, and it has affected a lot of the spoonbill sandpipers. Hmm. So this people are poaching the eggs kind of like they would sea turtles for, like, nourishment sort of thing? No, the actual bird. The, oh. The bird. Yeah, so in, in Asia, in certain areas, people hunt shorebirds to eat them, and a lot of people don't know the difference between a common let's say a common shorebird versus something that is very endangered, like the spoonbill sandpiper. So anything they can get their hands on, they will take. And uh, yeah, that has been affected them. But I think their the number one um, reason why their numbers have declined so much is habitat loss. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very sad. It's, a, it's a, such a beautiful bird. It's this very small shorebird and it has th- their bill. It looks like a spoon. So that's why it's called spoonbill yeah. sandpiper. Yeah. Yeah. So if I could see a bird, that would be my, the D bird. So, okay. Well, how about a bird? Is there a bird in North America you still want to see? Huh. Good question. Now you left me thinking. I'm, there's so many birds in North America that I still want to see. Uh, I think in North America, I have seen close to 700 species. However, um, there's so many more that are still out there that I need to go find. Trying to, I mean, one, is the the uh, yellow-billed magpie. The yellow-billed magpie is a bird that you see in California, and uh, it's endemic to that area, and it's in the corvid family. And corvids are my favorite group of uh, family of birds, like the raven. So, yeah, you just made me think, and, yeah, yellow-billed magpie will be cool to see. <laughs> <laughs> when you mentioned the corvids, every time I hear crows, and I, I I actually really love crows, and every time I hear crows, I think about you, and I'm like, I know, Aliana, she likes ravens, and she likes corvids, and so I, but, and the crows are very common here in uh, the spring and autumn, they, they, they call a lot, so I enjoy them. <laughs> yeah, they're really cool, but yeah, that's one bird that I wanted to see in the road trip last year, but 
Sadly, we were running out of time and we had to cut out a lot of the California area. So we did not get to see them there. They, they're located more in the central area of um, California. And yeah, so I didn't get to see the yellow-billed magpie. Hmm. Um, well, I think to transition a little bit to kind of wrap things up a little bit too, you mentioned you renovated your yard and I think you really did that after uh, Hurricane uh, Irma, right? Yes, after we got, um, we, we've been slowly planting um, more natives, but yeah, Hurricane Irma hit us really hard. That was two years ago now. Yeah, 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 I think that's right. And uh, we lost most of our yard. So that's when we decided that it was time to take that as an opportunity to just try to plant as many natives as possible. And you are kind of in the southwestern portion of Miami. So you're in that same, what used to be that pine rockland habitat. So I think you're trying to mimic that in whatever way you possibly can. Um, So, I mean, kind of describe maybe what you're trying to do with that yard, with, with your yard, what kind of species you've planted. Um, and, uh, yeah, <laughs> what is, what has been attracted, what's come to your yard since you've switched that over? Ah, <laughs> so many things. So in our little yard and we have a very small yard. I don't know exactly the size of the yard, but it's, it's, it's a small size yard. We have already documented since we've been living in this house for four years, 92, no, I'm sorry, 94 species of birds. We just added a couple the last week, 94 species of birds. And we definitely have noticed that since we planted natives, we have attracted a lot more Uh, and not just birds, but also uh, butterflies and um, other type of insects. Uh, One thing is the pine land rockland so there's only one percent of that habitat left in the world it's endemic to this south florida area and yeah only one percent of it it's left so we decided that we want to focus a lot on trying to plant those type of of plants and a couple of things that we have added that i love dearly i and i laugh because it's hard to pick a favorite because i love them all i talk to them when i'm in the yard and i look at them and and when they're flowering i say thank you for flowering and (laughs) But anyways, yeah, I'm goofy like that. But um, one of them is the Pineland Croton. We 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 really love the plant, Pineland Croton, mm-hmm. and that plant is the the larva host plant for the Bart Bartram scrub scrub hair streak. Can't pronounce that. Bartram scrubs hair streak was an endangered uh, butterfly, and also the Floria leafwing. And uh, you're you're more of an expert on butterflies than I am, so uh, I'm I'm still learning but yeah so that's that's a plant that we really um have added we haven't seen those butterflies yet but i'm hoping that one day we we will we've added quite a bit of pineland croton and another one that we've added is the pineland strong bark and also it's a it's a plant that um helps giant swallowtails and a lot of the several uh sulfurs and monarchs and we the queen and the julius have been on them as well and a plant that we love dearly and we have added since the beginning when we started planting natives is the kunti. And yeah. remember kunti, I can't remember exactly when this was, but I'm going to guess it was approximately three years ago. I was in the yard and I see this small butterfly 
flying by and I started yelling and Mark comes running outside like, what happened to you? Did somebody hit you, hurt you? What's going on? I'm like, Mark, you're not going to believe. I just saw an Atala butterfly. <laughs> it was a Tala butterfly that had made it to our county. And Atala butterflies until recently were listed as endangered species. Um, I believe they're not anymore, and but they're still not as common. So yeah, so we had Atalas and we actually, they laid eggs and uh, we had quite a successful breeding season of Atalas. So that was very, very exciting. So that's, it just, it felt so rewarding, rewarding that from this plant and Kunti is a slow growing plant. Um, so finally, after several years of, of having this, that we attracted the Atala butterfly. So that makes me very, very happy. <laughs> yeah. No, I had actually forgotten that we had seen an Atala um, at Mount's Botanic Garden. And I'm going through the hard drives looking for Baloo photos. And uh, I saw these pictures. I'm like, oh, that's right. We saw it. And uh, we have um, caterpillars and, and adult butterfly photos. And uh, so I went to reading. And, yeah, they thought it was extinct, actually, from, I think, the from the 30s to the 60s. And then I think, like, somebody spotted one. And and a lot of it had to do with the Kunti, the habitat for the, the butterfly had kind of been uh, yeah. demolished and the plant had been poached and I guess it was also um, the roots were eaten by the settlers in Florida and so it, it just kind of disappeared and I guess finally people started breeding kuntis and planting them and I think that is really what's brought the talas back and so that's exciting that you got it in the yard too. Yeah and what you mentioned is exactly true yeah the the, the reason why they their numbers declined so much was because people were collecting the kunti i think it was the kunti fruit that they were eating um and because of that they lost the, the atala butterfly lost its its plants its its food source and uh and yet then people started planting more kunti and now it's it's come back so it was so exciting the day that I had that butterfly in the yard, I'm telling you, I, I was yelling like a crazy person. I'm sure, the, I'm sure the entire neighborhood heard me about heard me yelling, but it was it was really cool. And yeah, we've added we've had a lot of different butterflies and um and wildlife in the yard, and I think it all has to do with the natives. I mean, it's it's all connected. That's one thing that I always say: everything is connected. If you don't have if you don't have these plants, you will not attract these birds and you will not have these insects and like everything comes together. So what I want, it just things fall apart. I feel yeah, uh, one I thing that, um, going back to the Phoebe's is one thing that I do at, at every single walk that I lead or organize is that we not only learn about birds, but we learned about the plants. And at the end of the walk, I always ask two questions. What was your favorite bird and what was your favorite plant of the day? And that's because I usually have talked about several plants and how they're connected to the birds. I talked about uh, one that I talked about a lot is the wild coffee, uh, beauty berry is also one that I talk about a lot. And just those two plants, I tell people go home and, and plant a couple of them, and you will attract birds to your yard by having these plants. Right. No, it's like a little ecological. Uh, 
class, it sounds like, coming coming to Eliana's bird walks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And one of these days, I'm going to do a bird walk in my own yard. <laughs> just because I feel like there's just so much going on here that we don't need to go that far. And we can have our own cup of coffee here. Which, by the way, is bird-friendly coffee, of course. Right. No, that would be great. Have a little garden party in the backyard and have people over, drink coffee and bird. That sounds like fun. Yeah, that, that's that's one of the ideas for this winter here in, in, in Florida, when you can actually enjoy being outside and it's not so humid and hot. So one idea is to do a little yard um, get, get together and have people just see what I have created in this small space. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I know you're very busy. You have a lot going on with uh, your photography exhibition and planning for other trips. But maybe you can, um, if you have any last advice for for birders or for people who are um, wanting to just be better naturalists, and then maybe also where people can follow the Phoebe's Birding Group and where they can follow you online. Yeah, um, take time of your day to appreciate what is going on around you. Um, I know all of us are so, 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 so busy. But one thing that I, I, I love about just even when I'm here at, at home, which seems to be rare now that I'm home, uh, when I'm home is that I just hear something going on outside and I look outside and I, I'm, I'm like, why are the Blue Jays getting so upset? And then I look up and there is a red shoulder hawk. So just try to pay attention to your outside and your surroundings. And there's just so much going on right around you. And try to appreciate those things and grab a cup of coffee or a cup of tea and sit outside and be outside for 10, 15 minutes and just appreciate those things. Get outside, make it a habit of once a week going for a, uh, an hour walk or something and and borrow binoculars and just seeing what birds you're seeing and borrow a field guide from your local library but get out there and try to enjoy nature and uh once you fall in love with one bird or one plant it all it's a domino effect and once you know one you want to know what the other one is and so forth and so on and you just before you know it you will know so much so get out there and enjoy it because we need more people to fall in love with nature and trying to protect it because it's all disappearing too quickly and we need more people to protect it. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree. I, I give that a, a ringing endorsement. So, um, <laughs> and how about where to find the Phoebe's birding group and, and you? So you can find the Phoebe's birding on our, webs our website, phoebesbirding.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram, Phoebe's Birding, and on Facebook, Phoebe's Birding. And also, um, you can find me on Birding by Bus. So you can, on Facebook and Instagram, I post a lot on there. And um, we both do, Mark and myself, post a lot on there. And we're always talking about our travels and our yard and how to be better in this world and trying to teach people what we have learned ourselves and how to be a better person so yeah birding by boss and phoebe's birding and next time mark is in town and you guys have some more downtime which i don't know when that's going to be i definitely want to have you guys both back on to talk about about your your 
well, both road trips, but your your latest road trip, we're birding by bus, uh, kind of was born. So, so keep that in mind and make sure Mark Mark knows. <laughs> yeah, I already told him to put it on the calendar so we can talk to you about how birding by bus, how it all started, and what it has become now. <laughs> yes, yes. 